Listen to the dragon. Hello and welcome to another episode of Here's What You Could Have Run. As you might have guessed, this episode is all about the Dragon's Back race, which is coming up shortly. Since last episode, a lot has changed in the UK. Much of southern England has now moved into Tier 3, and restaurants and pubs have closed after only a few weeks of trading. There's been a lot of backwards and forwards on whether the planned Christmas relaxation of rules is a good idea after all. I think with the way the government's going, we'll probably only know for sure in the last few days. It's not been good news for races either, and many have had to either cancel due to concerns of encouraging travelling, or because they've had landowner permission issues. Prior to Tier 3, I did manage to get in one more marathon, only my second of the year. It was a local Enigma event in pretty awful weather. Not quite match fit, so I wasn't sure how to handle it. So I just started my watch, shoved it up my sleeve and just tried to run on fill, hoping to try and get a sub four purely based on my previous experience. It did seem to work. Across the finish line, 3.56, which was quite a nice surprise on a miserable day. That's about 142 marathons or ultras now. And then we do at least 10 a year. So it's definitely been a slow 2020. Uh, this weekend, I should have had two socially distanced races booked. Uh, now with tier three status, only one of these was going ahead. And this is Saturday morning. So I'm just back from the Redway Runners Daytona 5000, which is a 5K race or slightly over 5K around the go-kart track at Daytona. It's just a good fun race, sort of twisty laps, adds a bit of fun excitement. And this time they had quite a good sort of Christmas feel with it, with all the race marshals, etc. dressed up. So yeah, it's a good morning out and nice to get probably my last race of the year in. Speaking of uh, things that are being cancelled, it's that time of year again when everyone's timeline is full of their Strava year in sport videos. This year they seem to be particularly painful and slow and just take hours to go through. So it might be a controversial opinion, but no one really cares about them, even their own video, let alone someone else's. They're just awful this year. So, yeah, <laughs> don't share them. They're pointless. And anytime people are going to watch your own video, it's if they're trying to see if they've beaten you either on mileage, elevation or whatever random metric they're using to see if they're better than you. So let's all ignore the videos and just get out there, enjoy Christmas and get some runs in. That's enough waffling, so I'm going to seamlessly move to the interview. I mentioned the Dragon's Back race last episode with Steve. He was on there talking about his race in Madeira, and his next race is going to be the Dragon's Back in September 2021. I've since found out clubmate Chris, who was on previously talking about the Spine Challenger, is also doing Dragon's Back race next year. Off the back of that, Ollie contacted me to give us a lowdown on his race in 2019. We ran the length of Wales, so it's quite a, it's a long race and certainly a challenging one. Joining me now is Oliver, who's here to talk about the Dragon's Back race, which is one a lot of people might not have heard about. So welcome, Oliver. Hi, Mark. Great to be with you. Cool. And just introduce yourself. People know how you got into running and then, yeah, what is the Dragon's Back and why did you sign up for it? Yeah, so hi, uh, my name's Ollie. I uh, got into running pretty much. It's been a feature all my way through my life, even at school. I was in the cross-country team, um, although I was really only the fifth or sixth counter. So you're one uh, of the weird people that enjoy cross-country at school, right? Yeah, the, 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 <laughs> tough, the tougher the race, normally the better I did. Orienteering, mm. um, 
I, I loved being in the mountains with scouts. Um, but I always remember the way that you plan the routes using sort of Naismith's rule and all those kind of things. What the hell is that? Oh, so that's like your 15, 20 minutes per mile or kilometre, plus then a minute per 10 metres of climb and things. You know, it's oh, all very fascinating. Yeah, it's all really strict, the timings, so that and you had to make route cards and all that kind of thing. And I remember when I was looking at maps, you know, I'd be like looking at the ridges and thinking, oh, that'd be a great route. But when you did the sort of maths, it worked out that it would take all day or two days mm. or three days. And so, yeah, and I, I never really knew anyone who was in fell running because uh, I'm from Stafford, which is just a bit too far south to be uh, in fell running country, really. Um, so I had lots of big dreams. And then, of course, I left home and uh, you uh, and moved away from there, moved down south. And sort of, although I, I kept running, um, it certainly wasn't particularly competitive until uh, about 2011 when I had a bit more of a stable job uh, with less travel. And I ran my first marathon in um, Edinburgh. I did 326. Oof, uh, that's that, ridiculously quick for a first run, yeah. Yeah, I've obviously got some kind of running gene because, uh, yeah, I think I only did one 20 miler a couple of weeks before <laughs> as well. You know, it was a, yeah, a bit, a bit lagged. And, and then um, by 2013, I got the time down to 255. And then yeah. uh, in 2015, uh, 241. Um, which was which yeah, is I mean, championship time, isn't it for men? Yeah, and it was it was uh, just a great day. Yeah, it really was. Um, I've since regressed. Twenty eighteen was three twenty four uh, in a really hot day. That was that was yeah very painful. But then while the drawing's back, well, I remember after that London marathon, sitting uh, reading Steve Birkinshaw's book, No uh, Map in Hell. Uh, Stephen Birkinshaw. Yeah, yeah. See, he's he's a great fell runner, and um, so he won the Dragons back in 2012, and he also did all the Wainwrights um, in one go, uh, beating Joss Naylor's time, um, which had stood for years. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I remember reading that book and thinking, "Oh, wow, that sounds really good." And then I was flicking through um, the documentaries, and I saw there's a Dragons backdrop documentary, and I ended up watching all of them that are available. And um, the one with Hugh Brassington, who people may or may not have heard of, is really powerful. You can see him suffering in his eyes. Um, and that was it, I thought. I'd had a few beers and I thought, I want to do that one, that looks amazing. And because it was May, entries were open. And that was it, <laughs> it was positive. I didn't even think about the consequences. You, you've not done an ultra before then. And, and I'd never done an ultra before that. I just thought, oh. right, I'm going to do that one. It looks like an easy one. Come on. Yeah, and so I paid my deposit. It was a year to go, and um, that was it. I made a plan and started training. So for anyone that doesn't know, the Dragon's Bat isn't just, uh, you know, run a 50, run a 100 mile or something like that. It's a little bit trickier, isn't it? What's it actually involved? Yeah, so the Dragon's back. Um, the version I did uh, is five days, 195 miles, 315 kilometers, with about 15 and a half thousand feet of climbing. So it starts in Conway in the North Wales and finishes in Clandilo in the uh, south, southwest of Wales. 
Um, basically well, the lengths of Wales across all the hills in between, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> down the spine of Wales. Um, I'll apologise now for my Welsh pronunciation. Um, I, I have tried my best to learn, but uh, yeah, it's not it's not great. Um, yeah, and the, there's a there's a route called the Cambrian Way, which starts in Conway as well, and and follows a very similar route, uh, and finishes down uh, in the south. And actually, although I did a five day route, next year when they put it on, it's oh, in 2021, it's going to be a six day route which is going to be, I think, um, 380 kilometres in total and 17 to 18,000 feet of climb, uh, metres, sorry, of climbing. Um, yeah, so that's going to be incredible. Uh, and the finish of that's going to be in Cardiff Castle. I haven't signed up for that one, though. Um, yeah, oddly enough, I know two people that have signed up for it, which is, yeah, I know a lot yeah. of weirdos, but I didn't realise they knew that many weirdos, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, and, th and then, so... Originally, it was, um, it was held the first time in 1992. And it was a bit of a one-off race, and mm. the army helped organise it, and it was a bit of a logistics race. And it was won by Martin Stone and Helene Whitaker, which um, this was probably one of the first times people realised women have got a um, level playing field in ultramarathoning. Yeah. Um, you know, the... the, the, yeah, the, the endurance sort of gene it sort of levels everything out um and then shane Oley uh, resurrected the event and he's run it in 2012 15 17 and 19 so there's been five editions um and and unlike uh, there's a great quote in one of the documentaries where people say it's not a trail race um and it completely isn't there's about 20% of the race is on road about, which, you know, you think, okay, well, that's okay. 60 kilometers on the road, but there's also 60 uh, kilometers, 20% that are off paths. So that's not even single track. That's running across the hills, um, perhaps scrambling. Um, yeah. Across the tops of mountains. Yeah, the, the photo you put up earlier of you on the top of the hills, and it, it set my vertigo off going, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, there's some amazing photos, very famous ones of people that really gets people thinking, oh, I want to, want to do that or I don't want to do that, is going across Crib Gok, and that's on day one, um, you know, and it really catches people out. Um, if your vertigo kicks in on day one, you, you've had an expensive... Uh, marathon by that point if you go home <laughs> yes quite quality so um how do you train like you said this is the first ultra so how do you go from doing quick marathons to effectively doing a marathon a day or slightly over for five days yeah so i uh looked at sort of the problem um and in, i know this is quite boring you know management speak but I did a SWOT analysis. <laughs> so, you know, you have your strengths and your weaknesses that are internal to you and your opportunities and your threats that are external. So, well, I thought, right, okay, well, I'm quite good at running, but I am actually overweight. So I need to lose weight. Um, and, but I also knew I was good at navigation. Mm, and so, yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and having that navigation makes it really difficult for me to um, talk about the dragon's back um i'd say objectively or perhaps <laughs> um with people who don't are good at navigation because they wouldn't have the same journey and experience 
um, because I knew any day that I wanted to go and train, I could just rock up in the mountains with a map and I, because I've got an orienteering background, um, I, I was fairly confident to be able to do whatever I mm. wanted and I'd be within my limits. Um, and I know a lot of people probably couldn't be uh, the same. So I looked at that um, opportunities. There were, I had an entire year. So I planned in a couple of ultras to, to do. Um, none of the ultras need to be that long because although, you know, you're not training for 100, you're training for back-to-back-to-back races. Oh, yeah. uh, and no days over 50 you know, early 40, so 42 miles roughly every day. And yes, there's a lot lot of climb. Um, But also people like Joe Faulkner, so Joe Faulkner has completed four of the five editions of the Dragon's Back, the only person to have uh, done that. And he he says famously that he doesn't run. Um, So he sort of goes at what is called Bob Graham pace. And that's about three and a half miles an hour which is walking the uphills, scampering the flats, you know, running the downhills. Um, The pace isn't hugely fast, but you have to keep moving. You have to. I was going to say that's it. If if you're, you know, into your marathons and half, that sounds ridiculously slow. But if you've been halfway up like the Lake District and stuff, you've easily clocked miles that were, you know, nearly 30 minutes. So doing three and a half miles an hour consistently is fast if the train is not good. Yeah, and, and you um, you have to remember when you're walking that you're not going, you know, you're not going for a bimble around the town or anything like that. You are, you know, perhaps if you've got your poles out, you know, you've got your head down, you click, click, mm. click, click, you're getting into that rhythm. Um, and one of the great things that orienteering, you know, I can't um, stress how good orienteering, fell running, mountain marathons are for this kind of event, because you don't need the paths then, because you can navigate off the paths but also it means you're not scared of running off the paths. True. Uh, and it, in one of the documentaries, they compare and contrast the experience that the mountain marathon has, have uh, runners have with those who are from more of an ultra trail running background. And it does seem that the mountain marathon has come to the fore, certainly in the later days. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, so, I did a couple of trips up to Wales. I'd recce days one, two, and half of day three. Uh, I'm not going to say how much uh, all of it helped me because, you know, at times there are a couple of rude awakenings. Um, I remember 11 months out, I um, I did a, a long day going over sort of 15 miles of day one, and I was just about on cut-off pace, and I was really trying to go for it. Um yeah, and I, then I realised, wow, this is going to be tough. Um, in uh, Around December, I did another trip, and, uh, yeah, I was really struggling. In that, that time, I was with someone. Not only was I struggling physically, but it was also um, quite icy. Um, and I think it's quite important when you're doing the preparations to think about where you're going to go. The next one's going to be in September. So, actually, you've got a lot longer in the year to train, Whereas when I did it, with the event in May, you have to be doing stuff in the winter. But doing day one, which has got your highest mountains, crib gok, um, things that could be iced up, 
you don't want to be doing that in January time because it's yeah. obviously mountaineering conditions potentially. So actually, I, then perhaps want to go and do day five. I guess the advantage is you knew that in advance being experienced, but if you were your average kind of city dweller that's done a few kind of local marathons, you and you know it's dry and not icy in you know Milton Keynes, and you drive off to okay. Wales, it's not dry and icy at the bottom, so off you go in your t shirt and your rucksack. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> we, we still made mistakes, you know. We went up and did day two, which was only at 700 meters, but we got up to the top and it was an ice skating rink um we, we turned around i mean it was it was still pretty hairy um because yeah you're in your fell shoes um fell running shoes rather than uh in walking boots now we had obviously warm kit with us and things like that but yeah it, it's definitely um not to be underestimated at any point whether the um reckies or the actual event yeah, I mean, you were saying there you were struggling with, you know, what would have been the cutoffs on your recce's, even though you were sub three marathon runner. So, what are the cutoffs, and how do, how do they work out each day? Is it just end of day, or is it? Yeah, so, uh, so, so each day, um, apart from day one, day one you start in the castle, um, and by the time you get going, um, and you're off the castle walls, and you have like an orienteering style dibber. Um, that you may or may not have heard of. Yeah, they use them a lot for a sort of shorter ultras now, don't they? Sort of. Yeah, exactly. Those ones, yeah. And stuff, yeah. Yeah. So, um, at around um, uh, 7.30, you get to the edge of the castle walls, you dib in, uh, and that's when you'll start. Um, and then normally there's two cutoffs every day. There's one at the midpoint, and I say the midpoint, a lot of the time the midpoint is about 1500. So it's <laughs> almost mid afternoon. Yeah. Um, and then every day the course is finished at 11 o'clock, which uh, you know, is obviously quite a late finish. And then every other day, except for the first day, you start at 0600 if you want to. There's a window right. between six and nine and they tell you to negatively seed yourself. So if you finished first, then you should be going last. Um, and, and people respect that also helps mm. with the cues for food and things like that. Um, but but um, it, that, that works, you know, quite well. Um, but they're long days. If you're getting in at 2300, you haven't got long to have something to eat, sort your kit out, get rested and then get back up again. And you're out the door trying to not to chase that cutoff again the next day so it's a really tough uh, and in, in terms of logistics i presume you're staying in you know luxury five-star hotels throughout with a uh, room service <laughs> and wash of your kit yeah you you would hope so <laughs> uh, <laughs> they the, the accommodation was really good they are great um berghouse eight person tents which have um two four-person vestibules on each side which are further subdivided in two so effectively you're in your own two-person um tent and as people drop out depending on how um you know how well your tent does um you actually get more space in your tent so uh yes it you're crying your tent mate doesn't uh, make it back <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly um I, I, we had a really good tent you know we looked after each other we helped each other when we got back and you saw and if you saw people out on the course as well from your tent you'd give them an extra sort of go well and um 
and and I've seen such. I was in the um, the round pub in uh, Keswick uh, the other day after doing the Abrams Tea Round, um, which is a bit of fun uh, loop that there is uh, that you can do in the Lake District. And as I was there having a burger after uh, yeah doing that, I saw one of my tent mates finish the Bob Graham, which like I just couldn't believe it. I was like, running up the street. I was like, I know him. Yeah, and 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 so I went and said hello and congratulations afterwards. Uh, but you know what a great spirit and camaraderie that the race has brought. You know I wouldn't have known who he was. That's or, good. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So you have that spirit in any ultra, I think. But especially so when you're next to these people for five days and nights. <laughs> yeah. Praying they don't snore. Yeah, well, I mean, but the tents are great. They've got their blackout blinds, which in May, when you've got a lot of daylight, is really mm. important. Um, and they're put up for you by the support crew. Uh, so you get into camp. You've got a, um, I can't remember what the weight is, but let's say a 20 kilo drop bag uh, type thing um, that you check in each day and gets transported all the way to the finish. And then you also have a smaller um five to ten kilo drop bag that meets you at the halfway checkpoint um okay. yeah so if you wanted to change your um shoes some cl change of clothes maybe your poles you don't want for the first half but you want them from the second half mm. um yeah then you put them in that drop bag that meets you there and that's the only place um officially where you can get any support is the halfway um checkpoint each day are you allowed to, you know, I presume there's, there's a food on course other than that, or is that literally it? You've got to fill your bag, get to halfway, get to the so, finish. So pretty much that's it. But in terms of water, if there's any streams, you know, uh, then you're allowed to use that. Or, you know, After you people... fish out the dead sheep, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but for, for water, a lot of people will do that. You know, if you're above the um, uh, the sort of, if you're on the open access land, then, you know, there's less of a risk on that. Um, and then in terms of other places, if it's a shop open to anyone, then you can go in and okay. that's fine. What you couldn't do is have your mate meet you with something specially for you because that's not fair. Yeah. But, but I went into uh, the Summit Cafe. I normally wouldn't. I hate the Summit Cafe in Snowdon. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I really needed some Coke. So uh, I, I got a Coca-Cola and, um, yeah, yeah, from there. And then... You could have got also, a ticket for the train back down as well. That would have saved a lot of effort. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it was going the wrong way because you need oh. to go off the side, yeah. But, um, yes, you're right. <laughs> um, and, and then a couple of other places. You know, I remember there was this fantastic bakery on, um, I think it was day five, that, uh, yeah, I bought the most enormous um, bun left my poles in the shop, got about a mile down the road and then realised oh. I left my poles and had to turn around <laughs> and run back. Um, yeah. They did a roaring trade that day. I bet they did. So um, it's, I suppose it's fair that way, I suppose the only downside if you're really, you're struggling with a cut off, you might work from the shop to shop by the time you get there. But I suppose that's, yeah, try and start early the next day and hope, yeah, hope the corner shop's open when you get there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is all fairly remote. So, you know, the the main um, places you go through were normally during the, the waking hours. <laughs> not too bad, then. And you said, um, obviously, you talked a bit about the route. So it's not obviously a March route. Is it 
a designated route in particular, or are there literally bits where you just got to hit a few checkpoints on route and how you get in between is entirely up to you as long as you're not using a helicopter? So, yeah. So back in, back in sort of 2012, 2015, I would have absolutely loved this race a lot more than uh, I did. Um, and I did love it because it was literally a load of orienteering checkpoints that you had to go from one to the other and make your own route up. Um, it still is mostly like that, except now the map has got a yellow, yellow line on it, which is the recommended route. It's also in places got an orange line on it, which is the mandatory route where perhaps um, landowners um, or uh, yeah, local councils or whatever have said, please stick to this route. It's safer, keeps you off the main roads, or, or they don't. Or in terms of um, yeah, just keeping people friendly and happy. Um, so, so yeah, there is a recommended route the entire way. Um, there's a couple of places you can gain a little advantage, but mainly that recommended route as well is now a GPX file. So everybody's got it on their wrist. Yeah, that's um, what I'd want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so many people as well will, will say that, um, that you, can, you can completely do it just with the GPX. You know, people will say they didn't look at the map the entire time. It's not my style. I'm not going to say that it's right or wrong. Mm. Um, the reason you have to be really good at using the GPX um, in the hills, because I remember sometimes you with people and it'll say 10 meters left of track, 10 meters right of track, and they're sort of zigzagging. But actually you sort of go, mate, what are you doing? Look up the hill. We're going up that one. Just walk straight and go forwards. Yeah. And then you realize Ah, actually, I can save a lot of time here. So it's about using all the tools that you have available, the map, the GPX, um, yeah, reading the contours, uh, all that kind of thing. Yeah, all bits on bad, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I, and, and I guess the, the important the thing about navigation as well, I'm not making myself out to be some kind of uh, navigation wizard, but um, navigation is really easy when you can see where you're going. And we had fantastic weather. There was only a bit on day one where we were in the cloud. And it was quite funny getting to the, you know, one of the first um, checkpoints where it, it was in the cloud. I remember getting, going up this gully that I'd been up on my, uh, on the recce. Uh, and I remember seeing it and, you know, completely getting up there, getting to the checkpoint. And then as I was going down the other side from the checkpoint, we saw people swooping around the other side. So quite clearly it hadn't been that easy to get to. Um, you know, they, they hadn't taken a massive detour, but uh, yeah, it, it was, we were very fortunate um, because you, you can see people a lot of the day. There's 400 people who started mm. and I think 250 something finish. Um, so there's a lot of people, but there's enough space between you. Um, and there's also, enough people so you're never sort of alone but you also it, it's um isolated enough yeah uh, i've made a lot of sort of listen to 1500 miles or like that you're kind of spread out enough that if you want to be on your own you're on if you want to hold up a couple of minutes have some conversation then you can do yeah exactly um and other than the very staff which was a little bit crowded um yeah it was all absolutely fine um especially in the later days where you've got a three-hour start window 
you know, where some people were out the door at 6am and other people were out the door at 9. So you said you did a few ultras in sort of the run up to this, to actually do some ultras before running for five straight days. What do you yeah. do to try and get something that are similar? Yeah, I did. So I, I did the um, GB, GB Ultras um, Snowden 50. Mm -hmm. It was a bit of a, uh, that was my second ultra actually. But um, yeah, so I did that one in, um, in the September. And I went into that completely with my eyes open. I knew exactly what I was expecting. Um, the route is very, was very mountainous. Um, it takes the Heather Terrace by Triffan and um, then gets to the summit of uh, Snowdon. Um, but not via Crib Gok, the scrambling. Um, although it was meant to be 50 miles, it was actually 58, and they'd already shortened the route by about eight miles, I think, because of weather. So it could have been an absolute epic. I mean, it was still a bit of an epic for me anyway. But that sounds a lot for your second ultra. That sounds a lot for pinnacle of yeah. some people running career, but yeah. There, there were some people that, because I think the event was meant to be um, all... Um, flagged and signed as well the entire way, but the weather had been terrible the week before, and so they couldn't pull all the flags out. So there were some people who were really uh, struggling with the navigation. Um, yeah, and, and for context, that took me 21 hours, which, you, you know, it was a 24-hour cut-off. Um, it, it, it was pretty tough. Uh, yeah, and then, and then my first ultra was um, one uh, in the Chilterns, which was... Um, I think it was the Tring uh, Humanity uh, Direct. Uh, oh, I've seen that one advertised a few times, but yeah, not done it. But yeah, it, it was either that, that they've got a couple, and I always forget which one's which. But um, yeah, I think it was the uh, the Tring one. It was really good. Um, really enjoyed it, um, and, and I was able to enter. I think the day before, I sort of got back <laughs> off a work trip and on a bit of a whim, just thought, oh, I'll go and do that. And I think that took me just over five hours. But, um, and, and then that was pretty much um, all I did in terms of ultras. But I did a couple of other trips. I was really lucky. Um, we, we took our Easter holidays in, um, in North Wales, which my wife obviously loved. But, uh, <laughs> well, but, the, uh, well, it's lovely if you can guarantee the weather. The problem is you can't, can you, sir? No, you can't. But we... It was actually good weather, but uh, yeah, we were, I was quite lucky. So, for example, the day we drove in, I pulled into Penny Pass Car Park. We swapped over for the driving. I said, see you in a couple of hours. She drove to Clamberis and um, went to the playground, whilst I did Crib Gok and then ran down Snowdon. Nice. So, yeah, just a couple of hours. I can't remember how long it took, two to three hours. Um, not long. And that got a run in. And then there were a couple of other days like that where I started early, um, maybe did a horseshoe. Um, and that was a quality day. And then the other, um, it wasn't quite an ultra because I, I decided to put myself on the middle course. I did the Great, Great Lakes three-day event, which, again, is run by the same company, mm. Shane Oli, um Company, uh, in the Lake District. Um, but it's three days over the first May bank holiday. So about three weeks before the event. And there's three standards, of course, you've got the, the longer one, which is pretty much an ultra every day. I think the first day was about 50 uh, kilometers. And then the second day was, um, oh, sorry. And then the second level was about 40 kilometers for day one. Um, and then, you know, a little bit shorter each day after that. 
and I did the second one because I thought it's better just to be undercooked three weeks out. I yeah, it's a bit close to be blowing up, isn't it? Yeah. And that was very similar style. You needed, except you needed your own tent, but you only pitched it on the first day, and then took it down on the third day because you went back to the same campsite. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, there was a big communal beer tent. There was a big communal. Uh, there were pizza vans that if you wanted to <laughs> cook your own food. So it was quite. Um, I like the sound of this already, actually. Yeah, it, it's really, really good fun. And, and they run met... every day beer and pizza in the tent. And you could, and I met so many people who were doing the Dragon's Back, which uh, was great. So, mm. you know, the people who'd done it before, there were people who'd been on the staff. So you could chat through and, and yeah, re really great experience and okay. definitely. Yeah, I good practice as well isn't it like logistics and stuff because if you did three long ones from home it's a bit different in that you you get home you get in the shower you put your kit in the washing machine you get your new stuff out whereas there you are in a tent with your sweaty gear from that day working out what's dry enough for the next day yeah exactly and um yeah i used um, large festival wet wipes that you can get in um, there you go. that's a good tip yeah yeah my, my mum found them in um I don't know if it's home and bargain or B and M or <laughs> you know, yeah. So they, they look like a normal wet wipe bag, except for the fact that you get it out and it's a, an enormous beach <laughs> wet wipe. You can but wet wipe your entire body over. Yeah, they're amazing. Um, so yes, that was that was better than a shower, um, and that and, and it's quite funny because there is a shower on um, day two. At the end of day two, there's a shower block. Day one, you had a choice of two rivers. Um, day. Three, the river was quite a long way away. Day four, um, the river was right at the bottom of the field, so it was right next to you. Mm. It was so cold, though. Um, I I went in, but that was the oh yeah, I went in on day one and it wasn't too bad. But day four, I remember getting in and it was just ice cold. Um, so you've run like getting on for fifty miles a day, depending on what day it is, and then you with broken legs clamber into a river in ice cold water and try and get clean. Yeah, exactly. And, all the <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then and then getting out, it was all muddy, so sort of undoing what you were. Uh, yeah. yeah. Really, though, get I just your clothes on quickly before you freeze to death. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Did you have a target time when you went to the Dragon's Back or were you just trying to finish it? Or see how many so, days you get in? Did you even know you were going to finish it, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it probably sounds a bit arrogant to say I thought I'd finish, but that's, you know, certainly by the end, by the amount of training I'd done and mm. the way that I felt. But I also knew that, you know, I, it was my first multi-day, really. Um, but, but... Yeah, I'd always, I'd never considered that I wasn't going to uh, finish. I was really positive about the whole thing. Um, and I'd done fell running, fell races as well in the builder. Mm. Um, so I was certainly in the right mindset. And in terms of actual raw speed, I did think I would be closer to perhaps 10 hours a day, which um, I ended up being just outside of 12 hours a day average. Um and yeah, some of that is really not through my own um, fault. I sprained my ankle pretty badly on day two, um, which which may, I'm just making it hard for myself. Oh, your injuries yeah. in early, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I think I perhaps could have been closer to ten hours. Um, 
it, because it's, it's a very fine balancing act because you don't want to go too fast because obviously then you um, you, know, you have all the, the uh, muscle damage that mm. you're going to cause and, and recovery for the next day. But if you go too slow, then you haven't got enough time to recover. You know, I'm in full admiration to the people who finish at 2300 every single day. And there were you know, a lot of them uh, who were using a lot of time. Mm. And it's going to be impressive in September because I think you could probably finish at about eight o'clock, maybe even later every day, and it was still light. Whereas in September, it won't be light. Nope. <laughs> no, so I didn't have to have my head torch out at all. I didn't have to do any navigation in the dark. Um, and of course, as soon as you go in the dark, then of course, you're slowing down as well. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, so it, it really um, becomes a different kind of challenge than if you're just looking to survive. Um, and, and I had that feeling because on the Wednesday morning, you know, I after finishing the Tuesday with my sprained ankle, I was up really early. I got it taped up and then, um, yeah, I was just looking to go as fast as I could um, by starting early. Uh, but actually, I didn't do too badly. Um, so, yeah, I had, I had a bit of an experience of everything because on day one, I'd actually been quite fast. Um, yeah, and ten and a half hours on day one, weren't you? That's, yeah, and I think I was about out of uh, 400, which um, is probably where I'd like to have finished, actually, looking at the sort of names and, you know, I don't think that that would have been um, unachievable. Um, and, and that day had the most climb. It's got the day one, you've got Crib Gok, you've got more, it's a lot more mountaineering, it's a lot uh, more technical. Um, and then later on, we were just lucky that we had um, nice weather. Because I think the uh, I think it's the Aaron's, which is day four going through Paris, which could just be a bog. Uh, that's one of the photos that I put up on uh, Twitter. That um, y yeah, you can just see what it would have been like in the uh, if it had been raining all week or all month before. Which yeah, be which being Wales, even in the middle of summer, that could be the case. Oh, completely. Yeah, there's no guarantee. <laughs> cool. So. Um... I mean, right, so that day two, and how do you start off each day? Because I've done sort of four back-to-back -back marathons and I had to kind of, you know, a rough goal each time, but you're, you've gone home, you're refreshed, you know what you're doing, you know the course, whereas each of these days, to some extent, you're increasingly knackered, carrying a sprained ankle, slept badly in the tent because Bob next door's been snoring all night. You've got a bloody long way to run, and it's only a midway checkpoint. So it's not even like some of these, you know, like Centurion and stuff, you can just run the five miles to the next checkpoint, then do six or whatever the next one is, and just do checkpoint to checkpoint. You've got a bloody long run before you even get to halfway. Yeah. That, <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, you treat each day, I guess, as each day. But incredibly, like you know, you know, as you start running, you actually get into it. Mm. You, you, you you do start, you know, you, you sort of perhaps in the first, I don't know, 10 minutes, um, you know, you sort of um, cut free or, you know, the, the doms and things. And all of a sudden you start moving freely and your body realizes, oh, we're doing this again. Okay, let's go and do this again. And a lot of it's mental completely. Um, you, especially the getting up, um, we were really good in our tent. You know, we, 
we had sort of a bit of a thing. Yeah, we're going to like 4.30, let's get up. Um, because because some of us wanted to be out the door at six. After, you know, I'd hurt my ankle, that was it. You know, I wanted to be out that door at 6 a.m., giving myself the best chance of, of making it, which, yeah, means a four. I was really cocky, I guess, day two. Day two, having just run in, in 60th place, I thought, oh, great, a bit of a lion. Let those guys go. When those guys have gone, I'll have the tent to myself. I'll uh, get myself ready, have a late breakfast. And I think I set off about half seven, uh, something like that on day uh, day two. And um, and yeah, I had a great time on, on day two. So I thought, wow, my legs work, they're, they're great. And then I saw, I'd, I'd already planned a little shortcut coming off one of the hills and um, it went between, between some crags um, to descend off the mole winds. Um, and the, the main reason for this is because there was a really, really steep section that we'd just been up and I hated going down it on the, on the reckeys. And so I thought, right, well, I'm going to go off the other way. And I'd seen somebody in the distance who'd done exactly that. I could see them, you know, perhaps half a mile away. I thought, oh, wow, he's gone down that route that I've already spied. So I did it. I went, I went through the gap in these crags. My legs were feeling great. I remember I'd taken some great photos from the summits of these uh, hills. And then I was about 50 yards from the path and my ankle just went, on, went from under me. And uh, orienteering, fell running, you're no stranger to twisted ankles, sprained ankles. Um, and normally you might sprain it and you just sort of go, ooh, 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 and then carry on running. And, and uh, you just think, oh, that was fine. Yeah, it wasn't like that. So <laughs> I, I sat down on the side of the hill, looking at this path that wasn't far away, but I was looking out of the, the eyesight of everyone else on the path because I could see people who were on the route going past me. And I was sort of there thinking, don't look at me, don't look at me, you know, it's fine. And I was also thinking about pressing the SOS button because you've got your tracker on you so everyone can see exactly where you are. But the thing about the SOS button um, is as soon as you press it, that's you out the race. As soon as you press it as well, you're meant to stay where you are. Well, I knew where I was. Nobody's going to come for hours. And that was just going to bore me. Yeah, and I just thought, I'll be able to hobble to the road by the time anybody comes. So anyway, I just sat down about five, ten minutes later. Um, yeah, I was able to just about put weight on it. And then, you know, yeah. And then I sort of hobbled um, across the railway track and... Uh, and made it towards uh, heading towards um, the, the next checkpoint, which was still, I think it was 10 miles away, the next checkpoint from where I'd done that. And it was quite funny coming into the support point, asking for a medic. Um, so I asked for the medic, somebody has a look at it. Um, and I was asking about taping and things like that. And there wasn't, oh, the one thing I wanted was an ice pack and nobody had an ice pack. So um, it was all a bit pointless. So we taped it up. <laughs> And I got my poles out of my bag and that was it. I thought, well, I'm, I'm not getting much here. I don't think I even got a lot of sympathy, to be honest. Other than, so, so I got a bit of taping in an ice pack and, uh, and my poles. Um, but, but they were great um, when, we, when I got to the camps every night. You know, I became a sort of a bit of a pet project of... Uh, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, it's keeping me going. Um, but but it, there was some funny conversations because people said, oh, you're going to carry on. I was like, well, I've just done 10 miles on it. So it's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. But you could see I'm near at the end now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could see it had ballooned. Um, so I got to the end that day and that, that day took 13 hours. It was, it was quite, that was my longest day and it was, um, yeah, pretty painful. Um, but then going on to day three, it had all night. So overnight they taped it and they put some special dressings on it and it came up purple the next day. Oh. Uh, and yeah, the next morning, of course, like I said, having woken up at 4.30, they put a different dressing on it um, for, for the day. And I set off and... I didn't even try running initially. It was just power walking at 6 a.m. And so I did that. And yeah, it, it didn't feel too bad. And slowly we were able to incorporate a bit more running um, where appropriate. You know, I wasn't running across the countryside, you know, on a road where it was even. And I knew the placement of the foot was going to be good. Yeah, I was able to do it. Um, and then by day five, your, your feet, well, your feet have swollen. That's, you know, something that I really hadn't planned for. But mine had swollen even more because, um, obviously, because of the sprained mm. ankle. Um, and I had a bit of a plan for my shoes. So I had uh, Innovate, the G260s. And I also had the um, Hocker um, Speed Goats. And my plan had been... Uh, some days there was quite a lot of road section, especially in the second half, and was to put the hockers on for uh, sort of the second half, mm. get them out of the drop bag and uh, and use the innovates the rest of the time. Uh, actually, I had to change that because so because of the sprained ankle on the Wednesday, I thought, well, I'll just put the hockers on straight away. So I've got a bit more cushioning and uh, things like that. Um, but what that meant was that. Uh, I didn't have the sort of change and I think the hockers were perhaps a little bit smaller and um, they, they they gave me some really funny blisters in places where you wouldn't expect to get a blister sort of on the sides and around the top. Yeah they do often come up small don't they as well especially if you've got swollen feet already. Yeah so um, so, so that was but I can't under underestimate I guess the mind over matter nature of some of this because it's just a case of just keeping moving. I, I don't, I, I was rarely averaging below nine minutes per K walking. So, you know, at the end of day, four, there's a massive road section um, and you've just got to be head down and just go for it. Get your poles out and just, you know, you're not walking around the shops. You're, yeah, you're, you're going for it. Um, because you know that if you can keep that up, then you're finished and you've got another day ticked off, you can start recovering and just, yeah, and get done. So walking is definitely important, uh, an important skill. Yeah, it's one I always suck at ultras. I tend to, like you said, meander like I'm going on Tesco. <laughs> yeah, lose any time I've made up by running, by kind of walking at 18 minute mile and looking for trees. <laughs> So, I mean, you said you had a tracker on and stuff, but how did friends and family, were they watching that to know that you weren't dead or were they just waiting for a phone call to say you found the bottom of the... You know, uh, oh, yeah, there was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the um, I mean, the trackers are amazing. You know, I just, that, like, doing a race with that one because, 
yeah, so many people start watching it and you drag them in. But they have this really cool thing on the Dragon's Back called Dragon Mail, which is where anyone can go on their website when it's live and send you a message. And then at the end of the day, um, you know, like the um, results that you get at the end of a race, it's on these sort of ticker tape. Well, you go along and you give your number. And at the end of the day, they'll print you out your Dragon Mail. And it's messages from anyone who's logged on and sent you it. Yeah. So, you know, there were people from my uh, friends and my um, family's running clubs who had sort of said, Ollie, don't know yet, but you're doing a great job. Uh, Yeah, we're all watching you. Um, So, yeah, it's a fantastic thing. And I think my wife really appreciated it because Mm. she was very nervous about the, uh, the whole expedition. Uh, she, uh, yeah, she she was really. I I wasn't worried at all, but she was. And but, um, but that's a good point. When you signed up for this, you were a marathon runner around London, and you went, "Dear, I'm off to run five days around from the hardest train in Britain, hoping not to die." Yeah, and we had a bit of an <laughs> epic. <laughs> we had a bit of an epic on the GB Ultras as well because um, she couldn't find me at one of the checkpoints. Oh. You know, despite me saying, don't worry, don't come out to the checkpoint. She tried to find me at the checkpoint, but my name, my number had either been crossed off wrong or not been crossed off. Um, and also there was confusion because, as I said, they'd cut one of the parts of the route. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I don't think they'd renumbered the checkpoints or they had renumbered <laughs> the checkpoint. And so she got to sort of checkpoint five. And so we were having this conversation about which checkpoint I was at and which checkpoint I wasn't. And yeah, anyway, we, we got in this big mess as to where I was and where I wasn't. So she has that memory of chasing me around North Wales. Who <laughs> was? Yeah. 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 So um, she was very pleased to, uh, to be watching me. Yeah. I like the idea of dragging my life and already think, but I'm going to send my mates when I do it this year or next year now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 really appreciated, especially the later days. Were they all complimentary, or were anyone going to wind you up? <laughs> no, I think yeah, yeah, no, no, they weren't. No, they were, no, I, no, I don't think I had any. I mean, there was a lot of banter, you know. Yeah, there was de- there was definitely it's banter. Like some of my mates would send stuff like, "If you're not quick, yeah, yeah you're doing terrible." <laughs> <laughs> Get a move on. Yeah, it's not a walking race. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> cool. well, we haven't discussed uh, much local is food. So, what happens with food when you're running for five days? Yeah. So, food, you know, you definitely can't do it on gels. Um, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're really heavy. Uh, I mean, I think I tried to do it on cheer charge flapjacks, um, or I had a lot of those. But even that's difficult. And the other thing you have to be really careful of is um, the chia seeds sort of getting stuck in your teeth. And mm. uh, yeah, and that, but I do like savory food like pork pies or scotch eggs. Um, the thing you have to be really careful of about with scotch eggs is when you, people always say, oh, you should eat when you're going uphill because you're slower and yeah, yeah it slows you down. Um, and, and you don't need to concentrate as much because when you go downhill, you want to concentrate where your foot placement is. But I remember the first time I tried that, I was breathing so hard, I inhaled some of the crumb off the cotch <laughs> egg and nearly choked. And I thought that would be just such a death certificate, you know. Yeah. Why did he- 
Yeah, on the on Scott Jag. I, I yeah. thought if I went to on the South Down Hundred, and I genuinely thought I was going to die. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, but unfortunately, I actually had a bit of an incident um, with my food. Now, uh, I'm pretty sure it got picked up by a school group who were in the youth hostel on the same day. Um, it wasn't deliberate. It was just they were cleaning out their fridge at the end of the time, and they picked my bag up. I'm pretty sure because. Yeah. Your food. <laughs> yeah. So day one and two and half of day three were done on only sweet stuff because uh yeah, the most of the uh the savory mm. was in there. And then so which meant that when I got to the halfway point on day three in McCuntcliffe, there's um uh there's a co-op there and I completely raided it. You know, I had the big breakfast sandwiches, uh, yeah, anything savory. Um, water, although I think I also had a watermelon ice cream as well, because uh, ice creams are the best when you're doing long run ice cream. Oh, and then we go to Cliff over and have a proper ice cream. Yeah, it, but it was pretty funny uh, the uh, that that co-op because everybody had been in it, um, and and the food on the Dragon's Back it was really good, but it is all vegan with the exception of for the mornings uh, there was boiled eggs. <laughs> but where's the bacon, the sausages, and the steak? Then, yeah? No, no. So it was a vegan. Uh, yes, yeah. you had pancakes. You had pancakes. You had uh, yeah, various other things. But um, and then boiled oh, eggs. So you put me off now. I definitely would have done it. But if it's vegan food, <laughs> that's the reason I'm not going to go. And then uh, yeah, and then uh, in the um, and, and you get a good brief on why you know it's meant to bring down your um, uh, on levels. <laughs> <laughs> it's meant to bring down the swelling and things oh, like no. that and, and yeah so th there is some real science behind it um and and i had no problem with you know with the food at all it was you know really really good um it was just uh yeah you just have to get your mind ready for it and if you're expecting and I mean, well, you expect you the bacon sandwich before running off you know but you do have chips as soon as you finish. Cheesy chips with. Oh, I'll uh, go with that. I think it was with gravy, or was it's it with that fake cheese? Uh, sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think it was vegetarian then. The uh, yeah, the the menu. But uh, yes. Yeah, it was good. Cool. And so, um, I mean, did you have doubts on finishing, or were you just like taking a day at a time? Yeah, I think it was pretty much, you know, take it a day at a time. You know, you just, it's one of those strange things where you think, okay, well, I'm going well at the moment, but how well will I be going in two hours? Mm. And at the moment, I'm going to finish well inside cutoffs. But because the race is just so long, you just think, wow, well, it's only going to take me to slow down a little bit. Um, or get lost but, for a couple of miles. Yeah, and we were really lucky that the weather was um, so good that, you know, they say that, um, you know, navigation is really easy where you, when you can see where you're going. <laughs> um, we, so we were lucky for that. Um, but day five I had um, at, at the last, uh, it wasn't the support point, but, but so there was another cutoff that if you didn't make it, you could be um, pulled out from. Which was after the support point. Yeah, it was about five o'clock. I think that cutoff time, you know, was the the deadline. Imagine coming that close and being like, yeah, missing yeah, out by a couple of minutes. I, I don't know if anybody yeah was cut off. I know there was a guy who 
I'm not sure if he'd broken his arm or broke his collarbone or something around around that point. I'm not sure if he went to uh, got taken to the hospital or yeah, I'm not sure what happened there, but he I, he finished. I'm pretty sure. Um, but I remember coming into that support point, and it was the first time that I'd felt bad um, it, it, the entire race um, because of my ankle. I think I did a lot more walking. And it also reined me in from running. Maybe if I'd been running, I'd actually would have felt worse because you've got the pressure of um, pounding um, your joints and everything. Whereas actually by walking, I'd taken a lot of the stress off. But anyway, on day five, yeah, my quads just, you know, were, were barely functioning. And I remember falling down the hill using my poles to just keep me upright as I sort of, waddled down and I remember I got to these the support staff and I said any other day any other checkpoint I'd be bailing you know because I could barely walk yeah but I knew that it was about two hours to get off the hill and to the to the finish and that was the finish of the five days so yeah so so and the ice cream van was also in this lay-by where the support point was um so I had an ice cream and then it started raining. So well, it's wild, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, that was the only other time it rained. Um, so I had this ice cream in the rain um, and then got overtaken by one of the uh, leaders, uh, Sabrina Virgie, um, who was, I think, second in the uh, in the ladies race. Um, and yeah, and, and headed down the hill. And, and I remember I'd been, I hadn't taken, a, they give you a really good brief on the use of, um, uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories so you're ibuprofen yeah a proper horror story with people weeing black and things like that uh, it's not that well known is it I know a few people that still take ibuprofen on like you know long ulcers and stuff and you're like really is it it could kill you yeah they give you they <laughs> give you a real scare story and on that Hugh Brassington documentary um, he takes I think it's about um six a day or or i can't he he takes a lot in a day um and they say the doctors cut him off and say well don't take any more you know Uh, but yeah by two years later they're saying to us you know don't touch them Mm. um i took i think 400 milligrams on the wednesday on the day three night and 400 milligrams on the day four night um which after I'd eaten and after I'd drunk clots, you know, I felt was probably okay. And then coming down the hill on day five, where, you know, I had this, I took, um, I can't remember whether it's 200 or 400 milligrams, but I took some. Anyway, 20 minutes later, I could run again. I was like, oh, my legs Magic. are fine. Yeah. And then, and then about five minutes later, I went, oh, it's those drugs I took, wasn't it? Yeah. They've made my legs Because <laughs> I'd never, you know, you take it, before and i'm not sure that i've ever really uh recognized oh this has improved it a lot you know or mm. yeah that day i was i couldn't believe it it was like magic um and then you go past the old castle on at the end uh clandilo and uh where the race finished on in 1992 and yeah that's pretty cool and impressive and then you have to run down a road uh to the leisure center um and unfortunately that well sorry fortunately <laughs> next time it's going to finish in Cardiff Castle which is going to be incredible and cool, that's, yeah. that's going to be amazing yeah it really is it's going to 
be such a great event. I mean, you, you did finish, as we said, you finished 116th and there were 404 stars. So, oh, and that's your, uh, is it a trophy or a buckle? No, it's a so, yeah, so it's a trophy. It's the miniature little dragon uh, that you get. And it's, it's uh, quite big. I wouldn't call it miniature. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's about the size of your hand. And it's um, a dragon sort of in the shape of whales. It's got the mountains down the, uh, the oh, spine uh, of, of the dragon. And we can hear but, it when you put it down the table there. It's quite heavy. Yeah, yeah, it's heavy. Um, it, but, yeah, it's, it's a really cool trophy. And we all got to go up and get presented them on the stage, which was uh, That nice. is pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the finish rate was, for something that hard, is relatively high, and it's 251 finishers out of 404 starters. And, you know, they've, they've had worse finish rates and stuff like since you events. So is that just down to the level of runners that apply, that only people stupid enough to finish are stupid enough to sign up, do you reckon, or...? Yeah, it's a it's a trick one actually because I think they expect about fifty to sixty percent finish rates, mm. and that's what it's always been historically. I would guess a race of this difficulty only attracts certain people as well. So you, you know you're not getting that many people who just walk up off the street as their first ultra. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they do that. Yeah, and um, and they also tell you that of the people who will drop out, thirty percent will do so on day one. 30% will do so on day two, and then 30% will do so on day three. So if you complete day three, you're pretty much going to do it. You know, there's a couple of people who obviously don't, and normally, yeah. normally serious medical things. Um, yeah, so A, it only attracts certain character of people. Um, and, and then B, people have probably done the training. Mm -hmm. So the people who, who drop out, drop out in the early stages, why? Well, they either haven't done the training, and there were definitely some people like that who went off like a bat out of hell, out of Conway Castle. And, um, yeah, I, I think some of them had even been cut off by the first um, halfway point, which was about 3 p.m. So that's six yeah. hours. All that running. training, all that travel, and you're basically, well, yeah, you're doing yeah, all that much training, but yes. And then... Um, yeah, so there's those people. And then there's also people who are injured. And there definitely were people who shouldn't be there, but they were sort of in a, you know, what do I do? Mm. You know, I'm injured. I can't really defer. So, you know, I might as well start, see how I get on. And, yeah, and unfortunately, yeah. So you will get some people like that. Is it, um, it's a relatively pricey race, isn't it? I, I know I'm probably exciting all this year because it's yet today, but... I want to say it's yeah. over a grand, probably more than that. I can't remember. It's it, it, a number it that... Yeah, it is now. It wasn't, um, but yes, it's certainly close to, um, which actually, when you think it's five days, you're having all your kit moved about, you've got all your food, you, uh, oh, well, not, not your hill food, but you get your yeah. food, in the, food in the evening. Um, it, it's not actually horrendous for walking. But yeah, if you know you're going to get through it, it's good. If you think you might get dropped on day one, it's a really expensive marathon. They, they, they do have a really great system where if they've got space and can fit you in, you're allowed to carry on every single day, uh, even though you've dropped. So you no, can either start at cool. the halfway point or, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so it, it does... It's a tricky one though because mm. it's also a bit sort of look at what you could have won and it's a, you know yeah. maybe <laughs> a bit 
depressed by that. But so I'm not sure what I would have done if I had had to drop out. But um, yeah. yeah, so would you go back again? Do you think? So if cost was if cost and time were no options, then yes, I'd I'd go and do it. It was amazing. Uh, really enjoyed it and I'm sure it'll be absolutely fantastic in um, September and in fact I might even prefer it in September because you know it's a bit more gnarly a bit harder navigation <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm not I'm not saying it was easy but I'm just saying it'll be a different challenge um, yeah but I think there's just other things that I'd like to do and obviously there's you know so much only so many days and only so many so much time um, and yeah, it is expensive, but it is a fantastic race. I definitely recommend it to other people. Oh. And we, you know, would you recommend they do a few more ultras in the run up to it? <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I think that probably more. So I guess it depends on the type of person they are. So if they have got a fit if they've got fitness behind them at a shorter distance i would mm -hmm. say you know the half marathon to marathon then they're probably better off spending long back-to-back -back days walking in the hills and making sure they're good on their nav they'd be better going once a month um doing two big walking days in the lakes or snowdonia um and getting hills in the legs and things like that than worrying about you know doing a 50 mile ultra because after a long ultra you have a recovery period and and that takes time away from your training and although i think the average is um 60 kilometers a day um so they're not long ultras and and also you know you've got that that off-road element as well so you might you might not even be able to run a lot of that off-road mm. element um, or, or off track element so it's definitely a balancing act um yeah pro probably having never done an ultra is not recommended um and, and that that said as well they do have a um an experience um box that you have to fill in when you enter um they what don't do you they, put? <laughs> I, I didn't lie they uh, <laughs> they uh they don't vet them so i think it's to protect themselves to say oh. um well you said you had this experience you felt that that was adequate so you can you put, put down cows to 5k and i've done a couple of partners yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and i suppose it also helps you know them to well why didn't you go on our reckies and perhaps right. you know i'm sure this is right for you but um yeah you, 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 yeah so i put down orienteer my orienteering experience walking experience um uh, and the fact is that I I did have a plan, you know, to do ultras, um, and to uh, and and to make sure that I was ready for the race. Yeah. Cool. And I've got some questions from Steve, who's going to run it next year. Oh uh, yes. Best and worst moments of the race. Oh, um, I'm not going to say finishing because obviously that was a good, uh, you know, good, be good, for me. <laughs> good moment. But, but um. Yeah, I think best. Uh, uh, there's that great photo that I put on um, Twitter uh, on Crib Gok. Um, day one is very special. It's it's a really good mountain day, um, and 
yeah, the views are fantastic. And so I've got a great memory of that. Um, worst bit? I, the, wor the worst bit, day three is really tough because it's the first long day. I think it's about 72 kilometers. Day four is only just shorter, but um, you've already gone over Kadar Idris and you get to these hills called the Terrans. There's Terran Hendry and there's Terran something else. I can't remember the name of the one. G G Gisele, I think it is. Anyway, they are about 600 meters high. They're not particularly big, but they are so steep. Like really, really steep. And it, right at the middle point, you're about an hour away from getting to the support point in McCuntliffe. And you have to go up to the trig point and then back down the way that you came up this really steep, um, yeah, 100 meter climb. And that's really tough. And then you get to the support point and, you know, you're having your, um, all the food that you've just raided out the co-op. And um, th there's miles to go. You've done a marathon and you've got, I think, 16, 17 miles to go. And it finishes um, with this big hill, uh, one of the biggest hills in, in that sort of area. Um, and, and you're walking completely off the paths. There's, there's no paths anywhere. It's all tussocky. It's all boggy um, right at the end of the day. And, yeah, you get up there, great view. Run down it to the campsite. So that, that's a nice feeling to have finished it. But yeah, day three, I, I did the recce and I could only do in, in the February. Um, there was a February half term sort of day when it was so sunny, so warm. But I could only just keep up with the checkpoints, uh, keep, keep up with the cutoffs um, on, on that day. And I thought, this this day, I'm scared of it. Yeah, really scared. Fresh rates as well, that was for you yeah, it was it, it was enough. Yeah. Cool. Is there one thing that you wish you'd taken with you, Steve? A push bike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um I I definitely uh would make sure that you've got salty food. Um right. or, or if that's your thing. Um they say take treat food anyway, but mm. I really miss not having um I, I've got these cheeses out of the, the local shop and I miss not having those um, yeah because they've been snaffled yeah. um, love you kids there uh, yeah yeah <laughs> I, like I, said, I don't blame them but I'm pretty sure that's where they went cool are there any foods you should avoid you said any foods to avoid? well I think that's really personal um, mm. you, you know yeah it's um, chilli <laughs> curry <laughs> Yeah, and all, all the food is, I was going to say, fairly bland, but it's certainly not um, spicy. Um, I, I mean, I tried some new things. I remember one of the uh, guys I'd met before the race, he said, uh, oh, yeah, I always have Coca-Cola. Mm. And so anyway, on the day one, I got to the cafe, the cafe and I was feeling a bit rubbish. It's like, he says, let have Coca-Cola. I'm going to do that. And so... Yeah, here I was. I bought Coca-Cola and I remember descending um, Snowden, heading toward Cluid and um, drinking this Coca-Cola. Not particularly feeling that great because it was hot. Um, it would, it's really hard underfoot, that path. Mm. And then um, Tim Laney, who's uh, a really good uh, fell winner, really experienced um, class of um, 
class of 92. So he took part, started the original one, but he didn't finish the original Dragon's Back. Um, anyway, he went flying past me and I was like, okay, now's your chance. So armed with my Coca-Cola, I went legging it with him to keep up because I knew that I was capable of doing that. My head was just not yeah. interested. Yeah, so he saved my day one, really. It could have been another hour or two, I think, walking oh, rather than, yeah. Well, another one from Steve related to that, then, is any tips for surviving over it? overnight camp and actually get a decent night's sleep so you don't wake up feeling knackered and dirty? Yeah, so uh, obviously we've, we've said... Massive wet wipes. <laughs> massive wet wipes, yeah. Um, think about what your plan is. It, it, there were definitely people sat around doing nothing and it, it definitely seems like a bit of a waste of time. You've got to have that plan. So you get in, um, people will ferry your bags to, the, to your tent. So you get to the tent. And normally what you do is you get to the tent and you're probably just touring around and go straight to the food tent. Um I think I probably took my shoes off first just because I could feel how um, swollen they were. Um, so, yeah, have a plan. Take your shoes off, whatever it is. Get your Crocs on or something. Go to the food tent. Have your chips and uh, check your dragon mail. Have, have loads of water. Go back to your tent and then get your sleeping bag out because that's out because then that makes space in your big bag where... You can do then the swapping around of your food. You have to carry all your rubbish off the hill, so you can't leave that anywhere. Um, and to get your pack ready for the next day early, sort all the rest of the stuff out. If you're going to go and have a wash in the stream, do it um, or, or whatever. And on the sleeping bags, um, Joe Falkland's big tip is, so get a square end sleeping bag. You know, sort of one of these um, Argos, specials yeah so a really large toe box um now obviously you know you need to balance that with the size of the bag and also um the weight and uh yeah because you need to be able to fit it in the bag but so it's got a big enough toe box because otherwise your feet they're like jammed like those, together. those mummy bags do go to a point don't they so yeah yeah, yeah. so so you can get really light bags, you know, and my bag was light, um, one of the OMM um, mm. ones, which, you know, plenty warm enough um, for the time of year, but it, it hasn't got a lot of room for your feet to move around. And certainly if you want to stretch out, then yes, a wider toe box is probably uh, a good thing. And then making sure as well, people always forget pillows. Making sure you've got, that. yeah, whatever you're going to sleep on. Um, you haven't got a massive, it's a 60 litre um, Ortley uh, dry bag, one of like the canoeing bags um, mm. that you have to fit all your kit in. So it's not massive. Um, so yeah, an inflatable pillow, whatever it is, but that definitely helps. That sounds good. Good tip. Thank you. So um, looking forward then after doing something as mad as Dragon's Back, where do you go from there? What's your next challenge? Yeah, so my next one's completely different. Well, completely different. It's uh, it's still big. I'm, I'm, I've got my name down for the spine. Hopefully, it um, takes place in um, three weeks. So, yeah, well, yeah, three weeks time. Um, well, for anyone that's not heard of that, that's uh, what a little five k around the park, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five k <laughs> gets to the top of the first hill. 
Um, so that starts in Edale and heads up to Kirk Yethom in uh, Scotland. Uh, 268 miles is the figure that's noted down. In January. Yeah, so it's the Pennine Way <laughs> in January, going over things like um, Kinderscout, Crossfell, which is the highest point um, in England outside of the Lake District. Um, you've got um, Fountains Fell, the, the Cheviots, um, yeah, all good remote places. Um, They're a race in their own right often, aren't they, Cheviots? People will do that <laughs> as, a, as a long kind of hilly challenging ultra. Yeah, there's a, really good, there's a really good one called the um, the uh, the goat. Uh, yeah. The, uh, yeah, and unfortunately that one's been cancelled today. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. so we've got our fingers crossed. Um, but I, I think you know a race like that it is the ultimate social distancing. Mm. <laughs> you know, you are pretty alone in the hills. So, uh, and yeah. if anyone's not, so I think it wasn't last was a year before there were like snowdrifts up to sort of waist height and stuff, weren't there? Yeah, it, it really, you know, depends. There's different, yeah, different years, depends on the amount of snow. But yeah, the, it can be anything. You know, you have to have goggles in your kit, in your mandatory kit list, <laughs> because because it's just so, yeah, you have to carry about three pairs of gloves because you need to have a waterproof pair, a pair with fingers. Um, you have to have, um, it, everybody, I don't think it's mandatory, but you, you know, everybody has the waterproof socks um, and, and things like that. So, mm. yeah, it, it, I mean, you have to have a GPS as well, which is, uh, you know, a, a handheld GPS, not yeah. just on your own. So, yeah, there's certainly a lot of kit that goes into it and a lot of preparation. Yeah. Um, it, at the minute, that's still on as well as you know, then. Yeah, at the moment, um, I, I think it, it's going to be a really interesting decision that they have to make. Um, completely respect you know which way they decide to go because at one side because you're so self-sufficient this year they've said you've got to carry a bivy bag as well so um because because who knows what's going to happen with the checkpoints so it is possible that they could say take away food here's your kit bag at the checkpoint you know that you can have under a cover yeah and sleeping, you're sleeping in your bivy bag outside yeah. in january which, which is what you, which is what you're prepared for anyway. You know, you, you, your sleeping bag that you carry with you has to be down to a certain level. So, in my mind, I am definitely ready for that level of austerity that uh, that they could that they could do. Um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. Um, yeah, so we'll see. So we'll see. The word I, I wouldn't use. I'd say horrific, but there you go. <laughs> Yeah, well, if people want to follow how you get on, are you on sort of Twitter, Instagram? Uh, yeah, I am. I'm on the Twitter and Instagram as um, to try or not to try, where try is spelt like triathlon, so T R I. Uh, it took me an embarrassing amount of time to realise that's what it meant. I yeah, I, maybe I really, you're Italian or something. It was like a lot of people or something. <laughs> a lot of people have said that, yeah. and yeah, it's quite strange that I didn't realized that it would be interpreted like that no, I was playing chess uh, the <laughs> other day on a live stream and somebody came up and said oh tutri to not trotri and i thought exactly, yeah <laughs> well, italian russian i don't know it's not yeah oh, no. 
but yeah i'll definitely put a link up there so uh yeah when brilliant we, so yeah, we can all follow you and see how you get on brilliant well thank you much for coming on that's uh like i said at least a couple of people i know that are doing it or hope to do it next year depending on what happens with lockdown etc so yeah hopefully we've got a few good tips out of what you've gone through today yeah, and um, if anybody does want any other tips, um, in uh, the pinned blog post that uh, there is, uh, at the end of each day, I actually put a sort of summary of oh, my experience. Yeah, so there are some learning points there. Does it um, get darker? So, like, by day three, the summary is don't go to Wales, it's too heavy. <laughs> <laughs> no, thankfully, it's... Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, day no, four, it, give up running. Yeah. <laughs> cool well so much for coming on and yeah um well best of luck i suppose for the spine i hope it happens i hope you do well at it great thank you very much thanks to ollie for coming on and best of luck for the spine if you're interested in the dragon's back race and check out the website as the photos and videos look amazing but for someone not keen on heights like me it may not be ideal that's certainly my excuse anyway Next episode will be a 2020 recap where I'll be checking back in with some of the previous guests and seeing how they managed to get on this year and how they handled fading motivation and erratic race schedules. I still need someone who ran New York Marathon 2019, so give me a shout if that's you and we can do a quick interview. Until next time, goodbye. Game over.